Rich, you, you look like you don't know what to do with this. It's a nice riff. Welcome, everyone, to episode 80 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Walt Pysik, Rich Greenfield, and the musical stylings of Pavement. How are you? Why was with that song today? Like, what what provoked that? I don't really get it. Um, Just because? It wasn't just because. They actually just, like, Pavement never tours. Like, ever, ever tours. Oh, so there is a reason. No, no, so there is a reason. They put tickets on sale this week, so they just happened to be in my head. Of course, I haven't bought those tickets yet, um, but it's probably the last time I'll ever see them, so I probably should go. Why will it be the last time? Are you planning they, something I no, should know because, about no, you? No, 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 because they never tore, <laughs> like ever. You were scaring um, me, Brandon. That was no. like a very scary, and the last time I'm know. ever going to this concert, so. Getting up in age, but whatever. Winding down earnings finally, holy shit. Has it been a ride? Oh my god, I'm so glad it's over. I mean, it's enough. You want to know totally what I enough? You know what I noticed at earnings this time around? The three companies that don't do prepared remarks, I think, may have been like the best performers um, on earnings in our little universe. We got Roblox, yes, which was up like forty percent on earnings. What Dish. else? Dish. Dish. Done well. Although I don't think their performance was outstanding this quarter. It was. Probably was a little low energy. The stock was up. It was? I don't know. Okay. No. I was thinking more about Definitely not. Rich and I. <laughs> what were the uh, other two? Twi- tw- Twitter doesn't do a lot. I mean, they do a very they do. brief. Rich. Very do brief. prepared earnings remarks. Um, Netflix obviously does yes, no prepared had like remarks. A, a killer quarter. And who else? Yes. Who am I missing? I'm definitely forgetting Spotify. Someone. Spotify, right. Spotify. And we're talking about nothing. some of your favorite names to talk about. I'm surprised. No, it's You're, true. It, I, I, it, it shows how uh, how worn out you are. No, I just, Disney was 37 minutes of prepared remarks. I just, I just, in 2022, one, I just don't understand why we need 30 well, to 40 in go- minutes. In government, we call that a filibuster, don't we? Uh, and just, I, I just know. don't think I it's helping. They had a lot to filibuster. Well, the, the problem is you end up then only taking like five questions because you've run up the clock so much. So you take no questions. But all people want to do is hear questions. They don't want to hear the companies regurgitate what's in the press release. And so it's just. Well, if you don't want to answer questions, then you, I, then you don't take questions. Why even have a conference call? Why not just publish your remarks and do nothing? I mean, there didn't used to be conference calls, right? Like you could, you literally could just publish your release and be done. You don't have to, there's no rule that says you have to do a conference call on earnings. It would be highly irregular for a large company like Disney just to, I don't know, stop doing earnings calls. I mean, I don't even know if we have this still, but remember first call, the whole concept of first call was rather than being the analyst that got the first call from the CFO reading the press release to you. Sorry that I'm no, 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 you're no, 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 you're you're being accurate. Concept on it. And I won't name the certain analyst that used to do that on a regular basis. Here we go to the first slide. Actually, it's a video. Uh, It is labeled Disney CEO on parks, but forget Bob Chapik talking to Julia Borston on CNBC about parks. Forget about that. Let's just listen to Bob Chapik on the metaverse. What is your vision for Disney in the metaverse? Well, my vision is to use Disney Plus as the platform for the metaverse. I think it really blends our physical beings with our digital beings and (laughs) creates a three-dimensional canvas, if you will, for our creative storytellers to paint. Hold on. All right. Brandon, where in the... Where okay. Disney? I, I use Disney Plus a lot. I definitely have used Disney Plus. I check it all the day, all the time to see what's trending. Where is my virtual self represented in Disney Plus well, it's, right it's, now? It's, it's not, and they could definitely add three D interactive to the subscription offering, like Netflix is adding games to their subscription offering. That being said, I think these are extremely. <laughs> And I mean, extremely difficult technical problems, something that 
hmm. Roblox has been working at for 17 years and still has, you know, a way to go on. And um, well, why like, is this happening? Just say, why is just, every company just saying that is is kind of what? like a dismissal of that. And by the way, dude, Disney, remember when they had their couple of forays into making games? And that was a much easier problem. That was like a train wreck. But but I want to step up to a higher level. Yeah. Every single company, even outside of media and tech, every conference call, every earnings call feels like the metaverse is something everyone is talking about as if it's here today or even coming tomorrow. Like there seems to be this massive disconnect. Yeah. First of all, I, nobody what, even knows what the metaverse look, is. What, I mean, we've written about that. And well, how about Strauss Selnick's quote? Strauss was interviewed this well, week. Stra- Strauss nailed it. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, Strauss basically said it's in the eye of the beholder. It's sort of like it's basically whatever you want to make it right now is yeah. what people I mean, are making the metaverse. The, the theoretical construct is a you know separate world where we are all interacting in 3D space in the same instance with its own economy um, and basically photorealistic. Um, visual with our own chosen identity represented in avatar. So that, like, that that's sounds, like definitionally no, no, no. what it is. So but that's not, no, no. there's so been Walt, a huge bastardization right. of so, it because so, so, it's a, it's a marketing term now. Hold on. So Walt's background is or Mandalorian. One. So no, no, but Walt's background is Mandalorian. Yes. Which is on Disney plus. Well, and every, is, that is, this is, this is the book of Boba Fett that I'm Sorry. trying to represent. But. Sorry, because it's Disney Plus Day and the, the, the trailer for Boba, Boba Fett, Fett is coming yeah. out today. I'm sorry. I screwed that up. But okay. he, the character is in Mandalorian, correct? Uh, yes, Boba Fett was. In, is in Mandalorian. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that much of an idiot. So okay. just to be clear on my Star Wars um, history. Mm-hmm. But what I was getting at is everything you just described, Brandon, on the metaverse doesn't exist in watching a well it doesn't video I mean, on Disney Plus today. That world doesn't exist at all. We're seeing building blocks for the metaverse unfold right now. And I think what Chapik is talking about is being able to experience content in an interactive way with others where you're part of kind of the story. Well, you know, it's interesting because Mandalorian Maybe I've entered the metaverse because I do. I use the Disney Plus function where I can watch simultaneously with my friend, and the functionality of that includes me being able to send a little happy face emoji to his screen, and that's the interactivity. Wait, wait, and does your does your friend like the emoji? But you can't. You you can't interact with with the content and be part of the. That is true. I cannot enter in and stand there with Mando himself as he. But there will be a continuum of these experiences. I just don't think that Disney Plus is going to, you know, be hosting. Well, can I just a, go back to Rich, your, for them. your original be on thing? Third parties. In terms of Chapik or whoever mentioned the metaverse, like I don't know why that's surprising to you. Whenever there's people invest based on thematics, and, and this is a thematic that someone is, many people are trying to find. Where's my longs and my shorts? So. Everyone wants to be a part of if there's a new investment them- thematic to be considered in that. So it's not surprising that if one of the largest companies in our space, Facebook, changes their name to Meta and talks about the metaverse, that you're going to find other companies talking about it. It's no diff- It's it's just a more no, professional, no, no. a more professional way. Like, like let's bumble. take AMC saying like I'm going to use fucking Shibu coins. Like if they're just trying <laughs> to generate interest in their companies. I guess I guess I would flip it around and say if I was sitting in Disney's shoes, I would be talking about how I'm going to unbundle all of my content and pieces. How do I take Boba Fett and put it into Roblox? Give people the ability to create Roblox games using my IP. How do I basically stimulate? All of these tech platforms who are building the pieces of the building uh, of the metaverse that Brandon's talking about versus trying to say, hey, we're going to be one ourselves. Like, I just think that's the disconnect in my mind. They're not a tech company. They're not a tech platform. It's early. And I think the argument from someone internal there would be, well, you just express that in eloquently. But there's an opportunity for Disney to take their content and create or place it into metaverses or create some talent on their own. 
Yeah, I mean, like deep, deep down the line, I'm sure like, you know, everyone could have their own website. Everyone's going to be able to have a 3D interactive um, version of the internet that they host. But I mean, you're talking (laughs) a very long time before we're anywhere near an open metaverse. Okay, talking about focus groups now. Disney appears that they've done a new focus group. And so Sarah Fisher's got a quote from Disney CEO Bob Chapek as well. Unlike 10 years ago, recent research shows that betting actually, quote unquote, strengthens the ESPN brand and doesn't damage the Disney brand, says it's, quote, something we're keenly interested in, end quote, and chasing aggressively. Uh, They just figured this out, Walt. Oh, you didn't have to read the whole thing. I think that oh, I issue, love it though. I love it. The point here that Rich is trying to make to our listeners, if this wasn't obvious, is this is something for our podcast listeners that you've heard us kind of remark upon in the past, whether they would get in betting and was hurting the brand. And and then when they did, we kind of, you know, said, I guess it's positive for the brand. And we talked about the kind of everything that's happening socially in our world country um, and why it got to that point. So it's just it's funny to see it kind of effectively confirmed from the CEO of the company after stuff that we've been talking about for a while. So the real question is, is when is the focus group going to say it's okay for non-family content to also live on Disney plus and have a full rounded service? Because You know, it's interesting when I, when I saw um, Eternals this past weekend or was the weekend before, whatever it was, there was a scene in there that I thought, "Mm, that's a little new in terms of Marvel. There was a, you know, Two of the characters were in bed together. I don't know if it was full simulated sex or not, but I'm like, that's a little different for Marvel Universe, which spans down into younger um, ages. Well, um, what's the McCall it? Um, Deadpool is not allowed on Disney Plus. Deadpool is a different slice of the Marvel Universe, and they obviously were specifically doing that. When you're when you're talking about like kind of a big, you know, multi character. Marvel, like, hey, we're setting our new ch- chapter to have. It wasn't like it was the, like Deadpool was the whole movie. Was that I understand? Was I, great. I understand. Like, no, this no, was not it was that. It was like a regular Marvel movie um, that they kind of sprinkled that in there. I think unnecessarily, I and mean, it wasn't terrible. I'm no, I'm no prude, but like, you know, and there wasn't nudity or anything like that. But it was nudity. like, it was. I noticed it when it happened. So the in so defense the, the, of Chapik, though, like. Yeah. In, in terms of his focus groups, and I'm sure facts are telling him what what he wants, <laughs> or revenue wants pressure, or re- revenue as, pressures, as the line goes. Um, but like the zeitgeist has changed around a lot of quote vices. Like if you look at polls and what people thought about gambling, I don't know five years ago and ten years ago versus today, they're different. Look about look at marijuana legalization i was so and, glad and, you were, and, i knew you were going there no, i knew you were going there. i mean all all of these things like yeah. it's not like the world is static and there it hasn't been a greater Maybe because acceptance cancel culture has things. spread to so many different things that it's hard to just cancel the the media content for having you know some elements of this everyone's just can can cancel for everything anyway so like it just gets lost in the noise and now they've got clear sailing to plow forward and not just clear sailing, it's also huge dollars. I mean, if you think about what's going on, Brandon, you know, you want to talk about what happened in New York and immediately what after what happened. Yeah. And and you know what? You talk about huge dollars and extra profitability. Who is that extra profitability for? And if you look at the legalization in New York and they finally chose the nine sports books that are going to be there, the immediate beneficiary was MSG because they got an enormous sponsorship deal with bet MGM. And these books, those nine books are going to compete. They're going to spend a lot of money and the place, I don't know if they're going to come out profitably in the market, especially with the elevated tax rate. But if you have advertising or sponsorship inventory to put against that sports betting, you're the one who's going to um, be the ultimate beneficiary. And ESPN, similarly, right, has a lot, has the ability to do, obviously, they have affiliate deals, they have ad inventory, they could take on other sponsorships against their content. So they're, be- they're poised to benefit. 
from this kind of sports book war. It makes even more sense if you're going to, you know, if you were going to spin off ESPN, could you, or I mean, look, if you want to merge it with a sports book, that continues to be to me the most interesting idea because it just feels like the traditional cable bundle is not going to be the revenue source, but maybe the ability to build into betting and ultimately even iCasino, maybe that's the long-term save of this business relative to, you know, it's really not going to come, I don't think, from streaming alone, just given sort of the competition there. I mean, you're talking about taking two leaps, though, because sports betting on its own, you know, if they were to hook up with a book, I don't know necessarily, unless you think the ESPN brand and that viewer really expands the market and they can do something unique with product. I don't know if sports betting itself is valuable enough. You do have to probably go into iCasino. Um Sure, to, to but really I, unlock value, and that's that's a real departure. Um, but I'm going to call an audible. ESPN. But I'm going to call an audible because you know we've got World Soccer Talk saying they've got you know they had news earlier this week that ESPN is bidding on U.S. Premier League rights, trying to take it away from NBC, where I think it's on USA Network and Peacock now. Walt, is that right? I think that's the two places it shows up. That what does the Premier League? Premier League, it's NBCSN. Sometimes I thought it moved to up. USA. Hmm. I thought they killed. Yeah, NB- yeah, yeah. And NBCSN is gone. But basically, there are two NBCU properties, like a linear and a digital property. Correct. And so the question is, does it move mostly to ESPN Plus? Where a lot it's of gone. I mean, I just watched a match on NBCSN like a weekend ago. So when is it gone? I thought they were shutting it down and moving everything to USA. I could be wrong yeah. though. Unless I'm misremembering watching it on NBCSN 220 on my direct TV dial, but it's possible. I, I literally thought the press release came out. They were shutting it down, but maybe I'm wrong. I think you're it's, probably wrong. I, as the I one just, person I did, that a, I did a quick, oh, you know, quick no, no, it's, it ends on 1231. Mark, Mark saying 1231. It's yeah, interesting that you I, keep insisting when I'm like, I, I actually I, I, look, watch. You're it. right. I you're right. To say it nicely, but now I'm going to no, no, dial no. it up and say like, do you you're, fucking you're, watch it? <laughs> I, I do. Okay, move on. Nonetheless, um, you're both right because no, no, no. But, currently but it's wanted, on SN. No, that's right. I'm and just saying it's in not, the future, it it's yet. on USA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but the larger point is Yay. sports rights are, despite all of the challenges to the ecosystem, we're starting to see digital bidders become much more serious. ESPN Plus is sounds like the entity trying to get EPL rights. That Albeit would obviously though, be- Digital bidders, if you think about it, are actually the linear bidders in a different yes. form. The only additional bidder, which is what really matters here, right, is has been Amazon. So yeah. it's not like you're adding more you know, um, bet, uh, bidders no, but, to the mix but, overall. But as I was trying to tie this into the sports betting equation, yep. the, cap- the cable bundle is getting worse, cord cutting is accelerating, advertising is weakening because viewership is down. And yet things like Premier League rights are skyrocketing. We've got over in India, IPL is a huge issue for Disney. They've got to retain those rights with tons of competition. You need to figure out a new revenue source. And so, you know, you can talk about the cultural shift in sports betting. But I'm saying you can talk about the cultural side of it. I think it's much simpler of they just need more revenue. Like they need to find a new revenue source. And the only thing out there right now is betting and ultimately iCasino, et cetera. Um, Okay, let's go back to... Our Let's regular the, scheduled program. Yes, we'll go back to the Colbert, the Late Show. Uh, Walt um, actually got this from two people in the last twenty-four hours. Both Walt and Jason Hershorn, friend of the pod, both sent over this clip. So let's just play the beginning of Quentin Tarantino on the Late Show. When a movie comes out that you're interested in enough to see, and it makes you leave your house and buy a ticket. And you could do anything in the world you want that night, but you decide to go to see a film, one film particular. Anything in the world. You go to see it, and maybe you're on your own, maybe it's in the afternoon, or maybe it's with your date or your wife or whoever, and you go and see it, and you, and you buy a ticket, and you sit down, and you have an experience, and you have an experience with a bunch of strangers. And at that moment, once the movie gets going, once the lights are down, you become a collective. This audience here, is a collective. There's you by yourself. You, I'm talking to you. There's you by yourself. (laughs) 
but then there's all of you together. And, and then you start appreciating the movie in that way. And when you have a good experience, it's not always a good experience, but when you have a good experience, those are the things that stay in your mind and that you remember for the rest of your life. And they become indelible, indelible snapshots. So we engaged on Twitter about this last night with a few people. Um, Carl Quintanilla, David Poland was hopping in there as a movie buff. Um, I mean, I fully appreciate what he means by the collective and those exist in, I'm sure Brandon experiences it at fish concerts. I search for it constantly at sporting events, but to me, it's a combination of not only the content being good and interesting and, and, um, memorable, but also the electricity within the audience that's there. And I think David was attacking me a little bit saying like, well, does it have to be 200 people versus 50? No, it doesn't. But like, so if I could be in a bar and there's 50 people and some dudes up there jamming, there's a collective experience that I have then. Um, but in the, my point was that in a theater, I went to Eternals back to this. It was 20% full. The movie wasn't that good. And that experience doesn't exist. And you need more people in a theater to have that. And the reality is like, how many times a year does that happen? So to say that that collective experience is what's going to save theaters that I, then I turn that over to you, Rich, like, like if it's one or two movies a year, is that enough to save movies for that collective experience? And is someone right. search and I'm just only just one yeah. more thing is, is someone searching for a collective experience going to a rom-com with like 15 people in the theater is no different than going to a shitty baseball game where the stands are 10% full and you're there because of business reasons, as opposed to, you know, an Eagles game or a fucking EPL game where the, the stadium is just packed and it's an electric yeah. experience. Thank you. Well, I, you just said a lot. I think we have to unpack that. All right. Uh, ah. a little. Um, well, I just want to unpack that just a little bit. And the, the two things that you said that are important. One is you need good content, right? So, most movies are not great. I mean, that's mm -hmm. fun. This is not a new thing. There's, you know, pre-pandemic, there's 400 plus movies that come out in a year. There's a very small handful that are good movies. Then you take it to the next level of, of the good movies, which ones, if you got a large enough group of people, create that collective experience that amplifies the experience. My guess is it's less than five films a year. Maybe like maybe there's some smaller films that, you know, we don't talk about horror films, whatever, that are more micro budgets that that there is a collective experience, but there's very small numbers attached to it. So it, maybe the number is more like 10 versus five. But it just feels like that is that's a very, very um, depressing statistic when you think about the fact that, you know, you need to sustain 40,000 movie screens around the country. Just so this reminds me of like in our town, we have a Facebook page. I'm sure everyone has it. And there's a lot of crazy shit that's posted there. And every now and then, like a local merchant's going to go out of business and everyone's like, oh my God, how can this local, this is so sad. And I always think to myself, I want to DM that person and be like, when's the last time you went to that store? When's the last time you had a meal there? So you want to save this nostalgic experience that you had, but like, are you the one going to the movie? Are you the one going to that restaurant and saving it? And so how do you expect these people that are running the theaters to sustain a business on the 10 move, whatever you just said, 10 movies yeah. a year that, that but, generate that interest. And you think about this year, Shang-Chi, Eternals, you know, free guy. I mean, go through the list F nine. I mean, none of these movies are part of the conversation days, let alone weeks later, Ted Lasso, People are still talking about yeah. Squid Game, still part of the conversation. But here's Everybody my question. What like about, I, so there's a couple of ways to look at things. There's one sort of the overall zeitgeist, right? Sure. What's in the zeitgeist and what's not. But what about um, within fan communities, right? Mm -hmm. I think part of what makes those, you know, especially Marvel films, like that gives you the collective experience, just like a sports event, playoff game, whatever, a fish show mm -hmm. is that collective fandom and the sort of, if you know, you know, and we're bonding on the, on the same side and know what we're all experiencing together. Um, like a lot of those films do not have that. <laughs> and and let me just hold on, Rich. 
Cause that, this is a perfect, yeah. <laughs> the reason I specifically texted about this is if you looked at the slate for 2021, you would have put Eternals on that list of fandom. And, yes. and yes. that's my point. That's I it. fucking that's went it. to Eternals that should yes. have been one of those 10 movies. It should have been what Brandon, what you just talked about, a community experience. And there was 20% of the people there. The content yeah. wasn't memorable and there was no collective experience. There just wasn't. Well, it doesn't bring up one other topic versus Ted Lasso is it doesn't have to be necessarily in the overall um, zeitgeist. It could just be under a large enough, very strong. Uh, Well, how about how about Game of Thrones? I I had a group of friends in the last season, which, by the way, needs to be redone. HBO, maybe Zaz is going to do this (laughs) for us. Um, I had a group of friends that we would we would get together for for the premiere of, of the last season. And that was a great collective experience. And that was not in a theater. Yep. I'm going to say something that a lot of people are going to get upset about, but like, uh-huh. let's just, but let's just step back. We used to criticize Jeffrey Katzenberg all the time for making too many movies and not focusing enough on the quality of individual movies um, at DreamWorks Animation. Like that was one of the challenges they ran into was trying to make too much too fast and, you know, pushing sequels too quickly. I, I wonder whether, whether it's Marvel or Lucasfilms, do you get to a point where you're coming out with between now TV and movies is there just too much and it's too much to ensure the pinnacle of quality on every single title? You know, you really liked WandaVision. You thought or, Loki was good, but not may, great. Like, maybe is there not just, just too quality, much? Maybe not just quality. Anticipation? Yeah, that, that right. Anticipation. I, like, think about it. If I mean, obviously, there's diminishing returns that are going to take away from excitement on anything. Like if I see fish 15 times, it's not going to be as exciting as huh. I, you know, I can't the, believe you just admitted that <laughs> the second time. No, I mean, no, I, I'm just every, I thought every, every, every tour or every show is its own snowflake and unique and so it, great. It, it is. Oh my God. Here we, okay, it let's is, move on. But <laughs> at the beginning of tour, sometimes you're a little more yeah. amped than at the end. Right. I gotcha. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to could be this. that that could be that because you've been on the road traveling too long. You're just you're just tired from the travel. <laughs> so, so Brandon brought up David or Walt brought up David Zaslav, who's taking yep. over Warner Bros. as soon. And he gave an interview this week at the Paley Center. Ken Aletta, friend of the friend of friend of the shed for sure, um, uh, was interviewing him. And, and David was asked about the movie uh, business and sort of this sort of ties into the Tarantino quote, the conversations of having. The best and the brightest talent want to still be on the big screen. At Warner Brothers, we can do a deal where you open a movie everywhere in the world, and you can also do great long-form scripted shows, blah, 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 blah. The point is, like that quote is he's walking around Hollywood, talking to talent, and talent's telling him, we still want to be in the, we still want to open a movie in a movie theater, like the Chris Nolans, like the Dennis Villanueva at Dune, like all of this talent, of course, this is what they're used to. They've grown up in the movie business. The question is, most of these things are not creating the cultural buzz. They're certainly not creating the collective experience that Walt is craving. They're not generating industry buzz or entering the zeitgeist. And yet the the the, the advantage is, or the idea is, we're going to put all of our movies, Disney literally on their conference call, was talking about how the box office isn't performing that well, so they're taking down their operating income guidance by $300 million in Q4. It will be very difficult because they're still putting their movies out exclusively in theaters. And it's just like, oh, my God, we're not going to change our strategy. We're just going to keep by, doing by it. By the way, Rich, in, in the next breath, they're like, and by the way, don't expect our sub growth to be good until the back half of next year because we have no content. I, it's, it's mind boggling. Mind-boggling. Isn't there a way to solve that? It's just pretty insane. Isn't that statement also just contradictory to what we've heard in terms of talent saying like they want to be on Apple, they want to be on Netflix, they want you know this is like do they really prefer to be on the theater than having one of these big streamers pay them a big check and but most just most want to get paid and be seen dollars above all right dollars and fame and okay i think so there's netflix this... can give you fame obviously apple can give you fame so amazon i don't know okay next and aren't they already famous 
that um, point. <laughs> that, <laughs> um, Tony Hale, who um, founded Scroll, actually bought a company that Brandon and I love called Nuzzle. Um, and he's now at Twitter. And he was sort of one of the key guys launching Twitter Blue. So Twitter Blue launched. Uh, it gives you an ad-free experience to publications that you already subscribe to. So if you subscribe to the LA Times or the Washington Post, you're now getting an ad-free experience inside of Twitter Blue. I asked him, Brandon, on a Twitter space last night, will we get to your dream of actually being able to subscribe directly? Not subscribe um, directly, but have like a Spotify-like model where the services subscribe and get paid based on clicks and usage. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that's where their head is at, because from that experience, the challenge with that is he really wants people subscribing to The New York Times. What he did say is we can do a much better job at Twitter by integrating the paywall. So if you already subscribe to The New York Times, it will know and not ask you to authenticate. So you'll have a much more seamless experience than what you have today. That's that's and, an that's an improvement. It's still like one of the most frustrating things on Twitter is just hitting paywalls all the time. Sure. Well, the worst one for me is if Bloomberg, there's a link for a Bloomberg story. And like, even though we pay a shit ton for our terminals that I click the link and somehow I can't see it. And oh, if I try and log worst. in, if I try and log in, it yeah. logs me out of the terminal. It's like, it's insane. Uh, that's more of a Bloomberg issue. Being okay. honest. You can I say mean, Bloomberg is of, difficult. Uh, but the point is it's yeah. not well integrated anyway. I don't know. That doesn't seem that interesting to me. Ad free. I mean, I've, there's apps for that. I press the reader button in Safari. It strips out all the ads and I see the text. So anything else at Twitter blue that was interesting to you, Rich? For, for me personally, um, two things stood out. I love the fact that I can actually now reorganize my bottom bar. So like my action bar, like I use something like bookmarks all the time. I use, I use a lot of the features inside of Twitter. And so being able to reprogram and take control of my experience as a power user is very, very helpful. And then just for me, because I do make lots of spelling mistakes, as Brandon knows, oh my God. having a feature where it po posts the tweet into my timeline, but I get 30 seconds to look at it or 15. You can program yeah, how long you, you want. Yeah, look at it knowing you. I do. These, these I like, already these pulled back like features that they tweets. should be giving to all their users I, anyway. I agree with that. I think that they, I mean, essentially, they basically put something out there and they're like, every power user is going to pay us the three bucks a month yes. or whatever yes, it is. Yes, exactly. Like, but all of these features would make the Twitter experience better for everyone if they were just native to the Twitter experience. Uh, I don't know. Most most people on Twitter don't tweet. But they might bookmark and appreciate Fair. some of these other things. Yeah. Yeah. The So the only thing that that is for tweeters is the 20 to 60 seconds, depending what you set it at. Right. And Everything else is a consumption experience. And frankly, and they that could 30 improve seconds. the consumption experience. Why aren't they? Yeah, and that 30 second delay is to me is just silly. I mean, show some self-control and don't tweet for 30 seconds and your problem is solved for and you saved yourself three bucks. By the way, I got a button on my uh, Twitter. Apparently, I'm in some type of beta group. And I you are, it. Walter. You are. We should have I actually had that video in because it's a big deal. What button do you have? I don't know. It looks like a couple of dots. Anyway, I press it and a couple they scroll. Of dots. <laughs> Whatever it is. And it, <laughs> when you press it, um, Twitter spaces pops up in a scroll that, you know, is reminiscent of Clubhouse. So things that normally right now you'd see if someone you're following was a space, you would see it popped up at the top. Now I can scroll through like any number of Twitter spaces that are out there. So it's also feature. special about that. I don't know if you noticed the, the, the Tony Hale, uh, it was with Kara Swisher and um, I forget who else was leading it last night. Um, the guy from the, um, Casey Newton uh, with the two people hosting the space last night with a bunch of the Twitter product people. But what was interesting is when I woke up this morning, you could still listen to the Twitter space because it's being recorded now. Yeah. And now no, for 30 I knew days, that because, all of these um, stay live. I listened I like to that. this podcast by um, by Guy Adami and um, Dan Nathan, and they've been talking about how like they do spaces. spaces yeah. yeah, and they do, and they they also do a lot of spaces during the week. And I know, and they've recorded them, and now also posted them as podcasts. So, just adding adding that recording, and we talked about that back when like Clubhouse yeah. was a thing, and 
Brandon, I think talked about all these different features that would be good to make it better. And so I think it's, you know, obviously Twitter is continuing to develop that product. So Twitter is going to own this space. It's Ooh. just very clear. Okay. Pun intended. If, it, if it's a space to own. Yes. Again, <laughs> pun intended. Um, you want to go to a little uh, Starlink wall? So this tweet is basically just um, announcing that there's a new um, customer device. This is the dish that you would put at your house or farm or wherever to connect to the satellites. It's a lot smaller, but I think the underlying thing here is it's cheaper. And if you remember when Starlink, before they started launching satellites, there's people that just hate Elon. And look, Elon's got his pluses and minuses. He, first, he's not going to be able to launch satellites. Then he's not going to get be able to get it financed. He does then, have a lot of cash this week. Then there was then there was this thing where like well, okay taxes the, the the cost to the is going to be so expensive a thousand dollars fifteen hundred dollars for this equipment that it would it would materially re- this product is my guess um, educated guess substantially lower so all of these critiques about like and by the way this is not brain surgery right it's fucking Elon like of course you're gonna if you have a their starting price on a product that you just launched is going to be fifteen hundred dollars in terms of your bill of goods. And that's obviously going to come down over time, and it's going to come down even more. Um, so this speaks to the the what are the mar- like if these satellites are spinning around the globe, rich that you know rather than a rich dude in Montana, now you can address a broader market because you're lowering your cost of equipment. And speed wise, I mean the speeds shouldn't be different, right? So and the speeds are obviously we've talked about before quite competitive with what a um, broadband user would have in the United States at the moment, let alone around the world where, where you would have nothing. Remember that the primary market here is people that have access to to nothing or a Viasat product that's shitty. Okay. Um, should we talk a little bit about, um, I guess this is mostly about crypto and NFTs, Brandon, on what Zynga's thinking about? Sure. So, Zynga, I'll read the tweet from Stephen Totillo. Zynga's plans around NFTs are vague, but in a sign of how much they want to get into this scene, their new first VP of blockchain spent his first day at founder Mark Pincus's house brainstorming with Pincus and board member Bing Gordon. So, look, I mean, we talked about metaverse. Um, <laughs> being a hot a buzzword um, in sync a little bit. This certainly concentric circles with that is the blockchain. There's been an explosion of blockchain games, mostly play to earn games. And look, the biggest problem with them is they're not necessarily really that fun. And the reason people play games is to have fun, connect with others, and escape. So I think play to earn is going to be a category, but not necessarily. There are like sort of maximalists who are like, all games are going to be play to earn. So I think it's worth an exploration for Zynga and all of the other studios, but they should probably also just really stick to what they're good at. And in the case of in the case of Zynga, or, or do they buy something? I mean, do you think you buy an early startup in this space to sort? I don't know. If, I don't smarter? know if you buy an early startup. I think you, you want to wait for traction, because most of the there's tons and tons of startups. We have no idea who kind of the winners and losers are going to be. There are some um, NFT game projects that have big community around them, like big big time games has like I don't know six hundred thousand people on their Discord server. Um, or whatever, but I I have no faith. First of all, that Zynga is going to have the DNA to compete in that space. Number one and number two, I'm not sure if they really should even try because it's it, there's still going to be a need for their core games, and I think they should probably focus on that and extending them. But, but you probably have a lot more confidence in their ability, just like they launched early on Snapchat in their gaming platform. The other tweet we have here is Zynga launching on TikTok. Really, the, I think this is the first game that's launching on TikTok um, coming from, you know, at least this one coming from Zynga. I, I haven't seen that before, but I think it's just interesting 
uh, we've always talked about TikTok on this podcast as sort of, you know, it's a platform for a yeah. lot more than just short form just, video. Just, just, just like all the other um, platforms have become. Um, I don't know if gaming I, has worked yet on Snapchat, though. Like, I don't feel like it's been it's, a I meaningful mean, use case. I, I think it's a building block for them. I think they're playing with it as much as they kind of like shoot down like the metaverse and those ambitions it's you know they're getting their feet wet in doing interactive things especially with wait a company that shoots down the metaverse i know it's interesting right well evan has always been kind of you know gone against the grain right that's that's always been to say everyone going big with broadcast goes small everyone going permanent he went uh temporary so yeah, that that doesn't necessarily surprise me, even though they have a lot of the kind of assets that play well into that next, you know, evolution of the Internet. C-Band, Walter? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on the last week's podcast. So just I want to follow up because we've obviously had plenty of additional meetings, even yesterday. Um with Jeff McElfresh from AT&T. Look, I don't know if this is going to get resolved by January. And, you know, that could be an issue for a company like Verizon who has focused on this UW that's going to appear in your phone. That means the phone will work faster, but also that they were going to use this C-band spectrum that gives them greater depth, depth, um, to more aggressively go after the cable companies in terms of broadband net addition. So it's possible this thing could delay, you know, three to six months. Good news for T-Mobile, who has depth of spectrum. Good news for, at least narrative-wise, Charter and Comcast. Clearly, the num- it, it, it gets back to this kind of point of, like, what's important. Um, numbers, meaning that the net ads that Verizon ads, broadband, wireless net ads are not material to the valuation, but it's material to the narrative as is is to Charter and Comcast. And one data point in that regard, if you took Verizon's 55,000 wireless broadband net ads, added them together with T-Mobile's, you get 185,000 in Q3. Coincidentally, or perhaps not, if you compared Comcast and Charter's broadband net ads in the Q3 of 21 versus 2019, so pre-COVID, they were 185,000 less. So they were getting less of the growth. In the, so the overall growth in the market, just looking in a, in a vacuum at those two things, was the same, but wireless was getting a portion. And then I brought this up with you know AT&T, which is more, more focused on attacking cable from the other end on the fiber side of things, but saying like, look, we also have a similar number of wireless broadband net net ads. So, but they never talk about it. Like that was the big news. They don't talk Verizon about it. This because, quarter was breaking it out for the first time ever. And look, Verizon stock largely moved, I think, on just addressing that narrative. Like, hey, we're a two or three percent top line. We're talking about this in wireless, but now, if we can go after this residential broadband business, it not only gives us potentially incremental growth and like another 50 basis points or hundred basis points of growth is very meaningful for a company like this. It's a different narrative leveraging, you know, a first application, um, you know, a 5g and it potentially lowers churn, which Verizon does report unlike the cable companies in terms of wireless churn. Well, speaking of competition in cable, uh, John Malone was actually interviewed at the Paley Center this week by Mike Freeze, so Liberty Global um, CEO, um, interviewing um, Malone. Uh, we have a clip, so let's play the clip and then we can talk about it. But here's uh, the, basically talking about competition in the cable space. I love his tie. As an as a first investor in these assets, as well as having you know a lot of skin in the game emotionally, but as an as a first investor in these assets, as well as having, you know, a lot of skin in the game emotionally, uh, the real question is: Do these evolve into stable duopolies? Okay, of yeah. of, of converged businesses, or right. or do they end up uh, looking like the airline industry? with discount carriers endlessly reinventing themselves because they can find cheap capital and they can then uh, do almost kamikaze 
type investments that uh, that frequently in the end don't work out, but are very disruptive to uh, to valuations. So I'm I mean, if, like unpack what he's saying here, and maybe you could help Walt. I think yeah, I mean, look, it's. To me, that the whole concept, because most people will say, "How the hell could you, uh, you know, connect the airline industry to broadband?" But I think part of it is like this concept of cable bulls thinking, like, "Oh, fiber overbuild is there's no return on that." And we've talked about this before on this podcast, and and I think that's effectively what he's talking about. Like, look, you we could all agree. I don't personally, but we could all agree that fiber overbuild or the what you'd have to do in terms of wireless densification you cannot get a return on that invested capital it doesn't mean they're not doing it and capital is super cheap so his point is like even if you think it's going to fail in two years it's going to be disruptive in the interim because you are providing a competitive service to those particular customers so it's a to me it's an amazing admission by the patriarch of the cable industry who you know reigned over a group of people that for years just said oh wireless are you fucking kidding me no one's going to use wireless no one's going to do fiber overbuild and now it's just like well it may happen and they blow it up and like you know that could that could be part of the risk factor so the local monopoly is over no matter what right because he's already going to duopoly duopoly meaning that the telcos are upgrading the dsl with fiber that you know okay and right. then which, which by the way can i just sorry to interrupt Brandon, but just one quick thing um from mikhail fresh he said when they put a new fiber in the ground they're getting like 50 percent take rates when they're putting fiber in the ground i, mean, I remember f- like fios like let's go back to fios and when fios overbuilt right if you look back in the history of fios can, maybe you could tell me was it a positive npv project i don't know but it's not like once once you do the build out you're probably going to keep it going forever because you did, you put the CapEx and the main CapEx into it. So once you get this densification happen in the networks, once you have the overbuilding, isn't that there to stay? And don't you have competitive local markets and no longer have a local monopoly anymore? Right. So So your point, cable business isn't as good, no matter what. So the current people would, would point to all the different things that Fios did wrong that means that they didn't get a return, even though you don't know for sure because they didn't break it out. But let's just assume Fios was a fucking bust, which it probably was. But And, and the current people would say, no, because X, Y, and Z. Let's assume that they're wrong as well. To your point, if they go bankrupt and they eliminate the debt, those assets are there. Like they don't disappear. Right? Yeah, that's it. The it, it yeah, you have the overbuilt. It's always That's funny it. when people talk about like it's oh, going to get operated when a telco on. goes bankrupt. <laughs> it's like they're going to go away. They don't fucking go away. They just stop paying the debt holders. The assets become cheaper. Their cost basis drops, and they come back even more aggressive. So if capital it, it, stays cheap and you have overbuilding and densification, no matter what, you are going to have real competition to cable. So maybe that explains why Comcast, in their heart of hearts, doesn't want to separate cable from content because they recognize that competition is coming in a bigger way and they want to differentiate. I know it's a silly idea, but if they're in their mind, if content differentiates their broadband pipe, and I don't think there's a lot of proof that Peacock is differentiating their broadband pipe, but conceptually, maybe this speaks to why Comcast has been so reticent to split off NBC Universal. Or or in a way, it's, it's crazy to say this, because you know you think about what NBCU is, but you're hedged if one side of the business, you know, is having some public market issues. At least you have the other side of the business. I guess, but if, and but then if, but you kind of they think that they're pushing into um, uh, over the top and Peacock, and maybe that makes the whole story. Sure, that, they're building the televisions. Comcast is yeah. building televisions. But let's just be clear. If broadband weakens because and competition fears grow, dude, Comcast and the whole sector is going down. I mean, there's yeah. just I mean, no, not as much. There's as, no not as much as Charter is. Because yeah, well, Charter I mean, look is at all look at all T's. single purpose and they're much more levered. <laughs> so, can I just point out one thing? Just want to throw yes. one. It's not. 
it's a little non sequitur, but kind of in the same ballpark. So you know how I rip on the cable companies for not reporting churn. So one company that does. Yes, we are aware. So Frontier. But but by the fair, just to be clear, all of our companies on the SVOD side, they don't report churn either. And they talk about low churn. David Zaslov, historically low churn. Netflix stopped reporting churn once they got to like 3%. Postpaid wireless churn per month is less than 1%. Okay. So Frontier reports broadband churn. It's over 1%. And you press them and say, like, why is that? And 1% is, is how people move. So if you think about someone that's moving, like I've got a kid that that's going to has a job in the city. He's going to move to an apartment one year and the next year. Like, are they going to, are they going to want to deal with the cable operator and waiting those three hours and, and the hassle of dealing it? Or would they, if you've got a, a reasonable 5g service and a box that when you move from apartment to apartment for that 1% of the churn, like what is that customer going to, going to in a city, by the way, where densification is there, what is that customer going to prefer to, to sign up with the cable operator and the hassle of doing that? So, or having a 5g box that they just kind of take with them, just food for thought. We have Daniel Eck tweeting out, adding more ways to listen to your favorite things on Spotify. Welcome to the band. We are find a way. So find a way is a relatively small audiobook company. Um, it's funny. You know, I remember um, asking Daniel years ago uh, about Germany, because in Germany, Spotify is essentially audible. They're the audible of Germany. Uh, they were early in the market before sort of all of the sort of competition built in the audiobook space. And so if you go into Spotify in Germany, you have a great audiobook experience, but if they had never expanded it anywhere else, they were basically just a mu- music service everywhere else. Now, um, they're, they're obviously expanding into podcasts. They're expanding into, you know, just more and more forms. They've done live audio. I don't, I don't think green room has blown the doors off in any way. Certainly not the way Twitter spaces has grown from a live standpoint, but Spotify essentially wants to be all things audio. It makes a lot of sense to go into audiobooks. Feels like though, this is sort of just getting their feet wet. This is an international platform. I don't, I mean, I don't know find a way very well, very small company in the scheme of things, but there was another acquisition Storytel, which is an overseas, I think they're in somewhere in, in um, I think Scandinavia, I forget off the top of my head, but they bought audiobooks, which was owned by KKR, audiobooks.com, which is essentially the number two player in the US, I believe, to Audible. So just interesting that sort of audiobooks has been around forever, like not a new thing, Brandon, but like no, all of a sudden becoming a, an interesting category. But look, if you, if you look at what Spotify is trying to achieve from both a subscriber and profitability standpoint, from a subscriber standpoint, they need to differentiate from all the other music services because everyone has the same music um, on their service. Number one, number two is um, I, I don't know if the label, if it's, if the economics on that uh, is better than on than label economics on music streaming. My guess is that, that is the case, which helps with uh, margin expansion. And then, of course, we have to do a little bit of AMC. Oh, so, the uh, of course, so Did they this was their NFTs. I got to look that up. I do not think they launched. Not their the board eight yacht club, but I think I think the actual Wall Street bets apes now have NFTs. But what's funny about this is. You know, on the conference call, and I don't want to talk about earnings, but on the conference call, what was funny was uh, the CEO of AMC, Adam Aaron, um, who was trying to explain to people that uh, his 10B5 plan is not him selling, that he is turning the authority over to JP Morgan, and JP Morgan will now decide when the stock is sold. So it's not him selling, it's actually JP Morgan selling the stock. Uh, And then a day later, he started putting out the filings. Uh, that JP Morgan on his behalf had started selling stock, which for Adam, I, I think is a brilliant move, you know, uh, monetizing at these valuations that are, you know, as their own filings say inflated. I just thought the irony was, or the funny part was he was trying to explain to investors that it really wasn't him selling, that it was really JP Morgan, which was just, I don't know, to me seems terribly He's also misleading. selling within days of getting on a call and basically throwing every spaghetti noodle against the wall as possible in terms of 
oh, Shibu and this, like all these like random buzzwords, metaverse, we're going to turn our, and like, I mean, that's merch. They're going to sell merch. They're going to make their own coins. They so want to do their an own agency crypto. That's missing here somewhere. I'm not talking just, about the FCC commissioner. But isn't there an ape community, Rich? Look, I, I just don't understand. I mean, honestly, um, they're selling popcorn. They're, they're, they actually, they talked about making their own AMC branded credit cards. I mean, it's just the, the, the challenge is. I think we, they believe, I'm not even kidding, that AMC is now a brand that transcends movie going. That it is, um, it, it's, it, it's like a lifestyle brand or something that there's a community built around and to a certain extent i guess that's right because of like the whole wall street bets thing but i think the community is really wall street bets not amc as the person here that goes to the amc the most physically i don't think there's much of a community in the <laughs> in the theaters okay <laughs> whether so we've it's got a our... collective or the popcorn line well, you have like to get those. So he likes the cherry. He gets this cherry co- cola, so at the a vanilla cherry cola at the soda fountain. So he'll be sad if he can't get those. Walt, could you just queue up our last slide and explain? Oh, what we have one more slide. Oh God, we do, Walter. And I don't know what this is. So please, I I missed it this week. So what is this? I know you wanted to talk about. Oh, Rich, it. I have this no is a tweet idea. From um, Jeff Bezos. Maybe our final song should have been that Jeff Bezos song. We use that already, didn't we? Use that. You can always use you can, it's a reprise it's called a reprise leo come over here i want to show you something there's jeff bezos billionaire topless showing his muscles like brandon sometimes does to us on private zoom saying look how buff i am now um but he was i mean you his, guys used to make fun of me for being so fat and you know never i would never do such a thing so that his Wait, his, his girl there's a video of a girlfriend his girlfriend or wife i'm not sure what's going on there now but she ran into to uh, Lenny DiCaprio and she was like staring up at him very lovingly and he was getting trolled by that. So he, you know, he has a sense of humor. He showed how buff he is and, you know, good for Whatever. Him. Can you sing a Jeff Bezos reprise? Like, how would it go? I forget. Like, what, I, you know, what I'm never good with lyrics. Wasn't it more of a TikTok? It was more of a TikTok thing, I thought. It was a song by a comedian, but it was, yes, used on TikTok. Probably I just saw it on TikTok. Time. I only saw it on TikTok. I didn't even know it was but a lot of music song. you only see on no TikTok. No one remembers you know the, the chorus, though, right? Because I can send we, you a link to a Spotify channel make, that has TikTok songs. It's very good. We could wait, 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 you, Brandon. Is it original Jeff songs Bezos or is it actual? Song oh, no, no. Hold no, on. It's songs is it, that, that have become popular on TikTok. Got it. Because there's actually original songs and audio being made just for TikTok now. You say so. Yeah, like brands. I mean, there's actually people that are literally designing things just to be. And do they go viral? Any of them? Some of them, yeah. Which one? I mean, I'd have to get you a list. Exactly. I mean, well, right. Send me that list. Right now I, in the background, I'm listening. We're going to ask TikTok for that list. No, we. this will be our opening or closing song next week. One of these alleged songs that were specifically created for TikTok. And so it goes, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos, Bezos, something, something. He's Jeffrey. really rich. He and so if you want, if you else. want a reprise song, you can kind of repeat those lyrics over and over, over and over in a, in a new way, perhaps with Lemon Song. Is your background music? The lemon song is so good, and the lemon song, by the way, is because. <laughs> um, now, by the way, Brandon, you sound sultry. I'm glad you didn't pixelate, but Brandon refuses to get a new computer. He's got a fucking lemon of a computer that he will not replace. I don't want to get a new one till the new ones come out. The new like, ones have come out multiple times over the past three years or two years or however long we've been doing this shit. And you should, you should appreciate the fact that buy I'm trying to save us money. Mac. I don't. I do not appreciate that. I want you to spend money on and, a new computer. And I also don't like Macs. They're very difficult for me to work with. Well, Rich claims that Macs have a supply chain issue, even though it's literally the same time to get one of these things that any time I've ever bought a Mac. But yes, we didn't even get into the supply chain. Uh, we didn't. And Vizio reported this week. Heard a little but, bit about that. I got a buddy that works at Restaurant Depot, which is a major you know, supplier to restaurants. He claims that Purdue, he was buying chicken at like a dollar 
Purdue can't it contracted. Purdue came to him and said, no, it's going to be $2. He said, what, what about our contract? He said, you don't want it? We'll just send it somewhere else. Can't ke- Heinz didn't have ketchup. How do you not have ketchup? Yeah, why is there a ketchup shortage? <laughs> I have no idea. But there Can you is. get sausages? What does your sausage friend say? you fucking tomatoes from China on a ship. You just ship them from Mexico. Like, take the tomatoes from Mexico, ship them up, process them. Do you know you who we need to solve this supply chain? Problem? Joe Galone. No. Jeffrey. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Bezos. I had yeah, to bring it full circle. Amazon it. That was probably a bad way. All right, everyone. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Take That's care. episode 80. Bye. Yeah.